Welcome to A Certain Age, a show for women who are unafraid to age out loud. We are midway through January, which means we are about three weeks deep into being bombarded with marketing for diets, fitness overhauls, and an endless blitz of messaging about our food and weight. And I get it, right? We all want to look and feel our best. And after the holidays, which can be a time of indulgence, we often look to January as a time to reset. If you are interested in making better food choices and having a healthier relationship to food, no fad diet required, stick around. My guest today is certified health coach and eating psychology expert, Elise Muselis. She joins me to talk about getting rid of the stress and confusion around food and embracing a more joyful, relaxed way to eat with ideas from her new book, Food Story, Rewrite the Way You Eat, Think, and Live. Welcome, Elise. Hi, Katie. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, I'm so excited because I know a lot of us are going to get tremendous value from the show. And I want to I ask you, you say your book, Food Story, is a permission slip to love yourself. Can you tell us what you mean by that and why you wrote the book? Sure. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll try to not take too long to answer that question. Well, I'll start with why I wrote the book and that'll lead to why it's a permission slip. There's so much mes- messaging well, first, let me say your food story, that everybody has a food story, even if you think you ha- don't have a food story, you do. And um, your food story is written over years and years. It's all the, the memories of food, the messages you receive, the you know all the meals that you've eaten, all of it comes together and forms your food story. And what, you know, for so many of us, we've received messages, you know, from diet culture and just from like well-intended parents who may not have known better, you know, just about food and body. And it doesn't always translate in the most positive way. I mean, I'll ask you, Katie, I mean, how many like women do you know who just, you know, feel completely at peace and have never struggled with their relationship with food in their whole lives? Do, do very you know few. Many? No, very few. I, I, I know for a lot of friends, family, you know, different conversations. Yeah. People are always, um, you know, wanting maybe to, to be a little bit different or, or to have challenges. I know a lot of people. Right. And it's not necessarily like, you know, anything diagnosable. It's just not feeling comfortable or totally relaxed or at peace or like very confident that you actually have what it takes to make the choices that are right for you. So, you know, so often we're looking outside of ourselves. So I came up with the concept of food story because I was working with clients for one-on-one and I would ask them about their relationship with food. You know, I, I had transitioned from just what to eat, but started going deeper with people. And so often, you know, my clients would like, look like they were up against a wall and say, oh gosh, you know, that that's, that's, that's a hard one, right? Yeah. Or don't get me started or, you know, like, can we change the subject? You know, it was just, everyone seemed to look defeated. So I'm like, I have to figure out how to talk about this in a way where people are thinking about it and not feeling defeated automatically. And so, you know, this is in 2013, there was a lot of conversation, Brene Brown, Oprah, people were talking about story. So it was like, you have a relationship story, you have a money story, you know, you have a love story. There were all these stories, a life story. Of course we have a food story. I mean, you know, it's like one of the first stories that begins right when we're born. So I started thinking about it as a, a food, your relationship with food, instead of just you and food, what makes up a story. Well, there's themes, there's characters, there's, you know, um, plot twist and chapters and, you know, the list goes on. And so I started asking clients, tell me about your food story. 
And people would be like, food story? Wait, I never really thought about it as a food story. And so that's how the whole concept evolved. And, you know, I, I really think that it it is a story. Our relationship with food is so much more than us and food, but it just opens up a whole new world. It's it's you're able to sort of release some of the the blame and the shame that we oftentimes have around our health and eating challenges, because you realize it's not just like you and how you relate to food, but that all of this evolved because of so many different factors in your life. So that's how I came up with Food Story, and it's to help so many of us who, you know, just don't feel completely at peace or like we're good enough, or, you know, we've taken in a lot of the messages that we've received probably almost our whole lives and felt like we don't have what it takes to make those decisions about what's the best choice for us. And so that to me, like when you can reclaim that power, that's loving yourself, that's respecting yourself. And so when someone goes through my food story method in the book, you know, and, and learns to release stress and learns that, you know, food can be joyful and, you know, that they can be friends, that food is their friend, you know, that's where the permission slip to love yourself comes in. I, I love that um, that metaphor, right? Because I think that we could use that permission slip in so many areas of our life, and and you know, it's it's fascinating that that uh, you've you've done this with food too, because I, I, the idea of even telling ourselves a story is so important, also, because we can look at food and we 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 assign things to it. You know, sometimes it's like a treat, or it's like a cheat meal, or it's right. you know, it's an indulgence. And food is actually none of those things. I mean, you know, food at, at its core is you know proteins and chemicals. And, and we, we, we tell ourselves all these things about it. So y- you help people tell yourself a healthier story around food. So what are the, what are the, some of the themes and of your own food story? Ooh, okay. All right. So I grew up in Los Angeles, so I don't know if that, like if I could stop right there and that tells you <laughs> enough, but I grew up in LA and went to an all girls school and, um, you know, you, you've my... said two things already that make us understand <laughs> that, you know, it's hard. I mean, I, I grew up in New York. I went to an all girls school, too. And, you know, we grew up in an era where we consumed, you know, women's magazines and they tell you all sorts of things about food. Right. It was women's magazines. And also, you know, everything was like fat free and diet. You know, there were so many labels attached to it. And instead of feeling, you know, I love how the conversation is really shifting to how you feel now, but it was really about how you looked back then. Everything was about how you looked and, you know, and, and being skinny, I'm putting that in quotes, you know, and that was really like at, at the core of all of our like choices around food. And so my story is really a story about seeking perfection and, you know, with food and beyond too. But like my food story was all about, if I, I'm I'm almost embarrassed to say it out loud, but if I find the perfect diet and I, you know, then I have the perfect body, which, you know, I don't believe all this right now, then I, you know, I'll, my life will feel perfect and I'll be much happier. And that was kind of like the, the, um, premise of my food story, but I Which just, is an impossible you know, dream. It's like perfection is so, it, it's, it's not even possible. So when did you sh- shift that story? Yeah. So what's interesting though, is that I thought that, you know, I'm just interested in health, you know, instead of seeing it as a see- seeking perfection. And so I didn't recognize it as a problem because I was making healthy choices and doing, you know, all the right things. So I didn't see it as an issue. So there, I'm going to share two really 
pivotal moments for me in my food story. And I talk about both of them in the book, but um, I think it will be really interesting for our listeners. So the first one was when I was in law school. So I was a lawyer before I ended up going into nutrition. Um, I was graduating and I went, we had my then boyfriend and I had reservations at this restaurant that took three months to get, and it was such a big deal. And we went, it was a French restaurant. And it was a, of course, like back then, you know, I had all my rules, my self-imposed rules. It was cream sauce and all the things that I wasn't allowed, you know, to have that mm-hmm. weren't on my plan. And to make a really long story short, I could see how like pained he was, you know, Aww. because I was like making faces. And it, at one point the chef came out and asked if everything was okay, because he said, you know, people come here, they eat their food. Nobody, you know, just sits and pushes food around on the plate. And it was like really huge because my boyfriend at the time actually broke up with me at the table. And we had been talking about getting married and, you know, we had been together, we were living together. So it wasn't just like, you know, a passing thing, but what was so like, like, memorable, pivotal, you know, just incredible about that moment is that I didn't realize how much my distraught relationship with food was affecting him because it wasn't like I was talking out loud about it or bringing him in, you know, but he could feel, you know, energy is everything, right? He could feel my energy, he could feel my stress. He could see that I wasn't comfortable And so it was just a huge wake up call for me to realize like our food stories are not our own. This sounds so devastating. What a devastating moment at that table. It was. And, you know, it, it took a little while to realize like, and to understand, you know, how devastating it really was. But the, the good part about this story is that was my husband and we did get back together, but I moved back to California and really like I started cooking and I, I knew I had to change like that, that cost me what was, you know, my relationship that was supposed to be, you know, someone it was with the person I was in love with and supposedly marrying, um, you know, obviously there was a happy ending, but it could have gone any way. And it was just, it, it was that moment that I realized I, I had to do something different, that I couldn't exist like I was, and that it wasn't just affecting me, it was affecting those around me too. And I changed for me, not for him, but, but it was because of, you know, what happened that I had that wake up call. So that was one huge pivotal moment. I mean, do you, you know, do you have kids? I do. I have three kids. I have um, a daughter who's 21 and an 18 and a 14-year-old son. So, yeah. So, Yeah. So one of the things he said to me that night was that we talked about, you know, starting a family and there's no way that I can drag your, you know, dra- like drag them into this, you know, and bring kids into the world watching this. And so, you know, we know we, we pick up habits and things from our parents and our caregivers or whoever, but, you know, you just you don't really realize like how much of your food story you inherit and also that you, you pass down. Absolutely. And, and you, you're, you're modeling stuff for, for your kids and your um, everyone in your life when you're, when you're you know, eating your three meals a day or your snacks or you're relating to your food or your grocery shopping. There's so many messages that you're sending. I, I was raised by a mom who really did a great job of never talking about diet, never talking about 
um, food as an issue. I remember at one point, like very unkindly saying to my sister, you're fat. And it was the angriest I've ever seen my mother. She said, we don't talk about people's bodies like that. That's a terrible thing wow. to do. And she and, and I was like ashamed. Like I felt such a sense of shame that I'd use that as a weapon. And it really stuck with me. And I feel grateful because I know that, I, that women in my life that have struggled with uh, food issues, you know, it, it's come from from the, the people around them. And I, I feel grateful that my mom raised me that way. And I've been trying to raise my daughter that way. I mean, it's, but it's tricky. And I, I know that we have to be careful because our, you know, our kids are watching us um, and we have to mm-hmm. model good behavior. And I feel like, you know, I think like you said, everyone's got a food story and I, I have to think more deeply about what mine is, um, you know, and, but I, I feel you know grateful to have been raised uh, in a home where, I was allowed to sort of have a healthy relationship with food and body. And I don't know. It's interesting. I, I need to think more deeply. You said you have two yeah. stories to share. We have to head to a quick commercial break. But when we come back, I want to hear the second one. Okay. We'll be back after this quick break. Midlife is a crazy balancing act. Careers, relationships, home life, bank accounts, empty nests, aging parents. Not to mention fun, fitness, and friends. We're living longer, stronger, healthier, and happier. We're living life fully charged. We're living Brightly. Brightly is a modern membership company and digital platform built to fuel life 50 plus. Powered by the belief that age and experience are rocket fuel and that 50 is a fantastic yet underrated club, Brightly offers tools, benefits, content, and inspiration for living life fully charged. Brightly offers exclusive benefits from top brands like Warby Parker, HelloFresh, and Minted. Brightly offers tools and classes to help you get things done built just for this life stage. Brightly offers voices of experts, influencers, and a community all living life 50 plus. Come be Brightly. Sign up for the free Brightly newsletter at thisisbrightly.com and follow the fun on social at thisisbrightly. Okay, Elise, we're back. You you shared such a powerful story about your wake up call with your husband around food and that that um, restaurant. But you said you had a second pivotal moment in your own food story. What was that? Okay, so I think this is really relatable. Will be relatable to a lot of um, people who've you know been like read blogs or you know maybe even have their own you know whatever like Instagram account where they're sharing foods or talking about um, things like that. But for me, my, my second wake up call was when I got certified in eating psychology. And what happened was, is I had already started my health coaching practice. I left law and, you know, I, I had kids and I was, you know, making their own baby food and, you know, doing all the things. Right. And I felt really good about that. I was eating, that I wasn't worried so much about eating perfectly, But what had happened is, is that I created this community and I had put all this pressure on myself to be a role model for my kids, to be a walk the talk for my community and to, you know, be eating all the, the right things, you know, and, and showing how like, you know, showing it in such a positive way that I put so much pressure on myself that it, it actually became a stress And so I want to like back up for a second and explain what I mean by that. But it was like the most ironic thing, because even though I was eating all the kale and the quinoa and, you know, making these beautiful green smoothies and all of the, you know, and had like been taking beautiful photos of it and what, you know, I was still that perfectionism 
that I had about finding the right diet was now about like being a role model about the right diet. I don't know if this is making sense. No, it makes you, total sense. It makes yeah. sense. You had this, you gave yourself this new set of pressures. Right. Yeah. And so what happened is in, I read this book called The Slow Down Diet, and it's not a diet at all, but it was all about um, how, like, you know, when we rush through meals, when we multitask, well, multitask, when we think stressful thoughts. And so when I'm, I'm not talking about like all the stress that we all have ongoing in our daily lives, this is like self-imposed stress. Like, should I be eating this? Am I going to get bloated? You know, am I doing the right thing for my family? Like all those little stresses that we, we might not, we might pass off because we, you know, we have these thoughts continuously and we don't even recognize them or even hear them because they're just kind of like background that we always have going on in our minds. And so what I learned when I learned the science that when you are having those thoughts, it creates a stress response in your system. And so I'm going to get into the science for a minute because I needed the science to valid, like to really explain it, to help give me this wake up call. And what happens is, is um, your cortisol raises, you know, even from these like thoughts that we think aren't that big a deal, but they are, our bodies are perceiving it as a stress because we're not relaxed. And then your, your metabolism shuts down or slows down. You don't absorb as many nutrients. Your digestion doesn't work as efficiently and not to mention that you don't get as much pleasure from your food. And so when I learned all about that, that whole stress response in the science, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm eating all the things, but it didn't matter because I wasn't, you know, assimilating and absorbing and, you know, getting the most value and nutrients from my meals. And so it was such a huge wake up call for me because I, like I mentioned that self-imposed stress, I have the power to change those thoughts. I realized I had the power to put my body into a relaxed state before I ate. And that doesn't mean that like I'm oblivious to our daily stressors because like I said, we all have them, especially right now, but I could do things that like help me come to the table without feeling so stressed. This is so, so fascinating. I love this. This is so needed during this moment in time. So what were those things? Because you, you in, in your book, you have an entire chapter on this, right? Called Don't Bring Stress to the Table, which is such a biggie. So what are those things that you did in your own life and what should our listeners be thinking about um, so that they can, you know, derive all the nutrients and the, the, the health from, from our foods and our meals. Okay. So you want to put your body in that rest and digest state. So how do you do that? You have to feel more relaxed when you get to the table. So there's a couple of things. One is I would, I just wrote down some of the thoughts because we're, like I said earlier, we're not always aware of what we're thinking because I needed to be conscious of what was going on in my mind. So I'd write down the thoughts without judgment. I wouldn't even like examine them at that moment. I just would write them down and later <laughs> look to see like, what was I, you know, cause when you can look at it, not in the moment, you can have a little bit more clarity and realize like that's sort of doesn't make sense or, you know, I don't really need to worry about that. And so when, so that was one thing. And then I talk about this in the book, what, this is the simplest advice that, you know, you can receive. Everybody has access to this. You can do it when you're driving, you can do it at a restaurant. You could even do it at a party. Just take three deep breaths. It is 
so powerful. It helps you put a barrier between like what's going on outside and any stresses that you're feeling and, you know, your, you know, reconnects you to your body. It is so like, even if we just take a breath right now, you'll feel your body relax. It's so, so powerful and so easy to do. So that is my big, huge tip for our listeners before they sit down to eat, even if you don't think you're stressed, get in the habit of taking three deep breaths. I love this this piece of advice. And I hope everyone who's listening is taking three deep breaths right now, because on last week's show, I had um, Patricia Lattice come on, who is a uh, licensed clinical physical therapist who has worked with luminaries like Serena and Venus Williams. She talked about the power of breath to stabilize your core, your pelvic floor. And she explains how breath is so key and how we're often breathing incorrectly. And we're like physically um, sort of changing our bodies with with our inadequate breath. And that if you can learn to breathe um, more correctly, if you can incorporate healthy breathing into your life every day, um, it, it, it produces such wonderful transformation for your body. So I love the idea of linking it to your meals in some ways to say, when I'm sitting down for breakfast, when I'm sitting down for lunch or for dinner, to really think about how I'm breathing because it, it's it's helpful for your body on so many levels. This is such a great tip. Yeah. And, you know, I just want to add in that um, my dad was diagnosed in 2018 with lung cancer and he had part of his, um, one of his lobes removed and he has not been able to take, um, you know, he's here. So that's amazing, but he hasn't been able to take deep breaths since that. And I could see that his stress levels are so exacerbated because he can't, you know, he just can't get that air. And so it's such a gift, right? And we don't think about what a gift it is. And I just want to share that with the listeners that like we get to take three breaths, you know, like that this is, you know, something that we can do every day. And and it's it's, it's a tool in our toolkit, you know, and so to take advantage of it. That's mm-hmm. so powerful. I'm sorry to hear about your your father. Are there other recommendations that you that you've made to him or to to the people in your community about how you combat stress? Of you know, because we modern life is stressful. Beside the breathing, what are other recommendations that you think works? Okay, so I'm going to give you two more. Well, one is we want them. Al- yes, <laughs> yeah. Alongside the breathing is a mantra. I mean, there's all sorts of science, and I talk about this in the book about why what a mantra can do to retrain your brain. And sometimes, you know, we feel silly, but it's like, I'm nourishing my body. You can pick a word, you can pick three words, a sentence, and you just repeat it over and over again. And it just helps your brain get into a better state. And it's amazing, you know, we, no matter how old you are or your age, you know, we, our brains can always, they're malleable, you know, you can, you can retrain your brain. So just pick a few words that work for you. Like Katie, what would you say? You know, I did this a couple of years ago and I used the word appreciate. Uh, somebody in a yoga class suggested this and it's um, you've just brought that memory back. And I, I would say appreciate at different times in my life when I felt you know, stressed out uh, and also when I felt grateful. Like I was reminding myself in the good and the bad, like appreciate what you do have at this moment of stress or when something joyful happened, you know, appreciate. So I could really focus on retaining that that moment. But I have to I have to admit that I've let that go. I'm going to come up with a new oh. word. I'm coming up with a new word, a new mantra, I, but 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 appreciate I, is good, I think. I think it's really good. And you know what's funny? I um 
I have these foundations in the book and I use the word appreciate instead of gratitude because sometimes I feel like we, there are these buzzwords and then we latch onto them like as a culture and they get used over and over again. So then they aren't impactful anymore, you know? So I think appreciate is actually really good because you, we don't say it a lot. So people are like, huh? You know, but if you say gratitude, it's like, okay, yeah, I've heard about right, exactly. It feels kind of buzzy. No, but appreciate also feels very uh, like almost like tactical. Like I'm, I'm like really like think I'm doing something. You know, I'm appreciating this because you, you, you right. There's agency. Like you have to take ownership over that 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 mantra. It's a it's a word that makes it sort of puts you into action, which is one of the reasons Mm -hmm. why I liked it. So what was your what's your other tip? Okay, so this one's going to be really hard for, 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 for busy people. You're very honest. I, I like that. We can, we can do hard things, Elise. Bring it on. We can, we can do hard things, and it's not the hardest thing. But um, okay, so I have, you know, it's funny. I didn't write this in the book, but I, I wrote about something like this in the book. But it, I've been talking about this a lot on podcasts because we eat and we eat and drive. We eat and run out the door. We eat and answer emails. We eat and, you know, like scroll. We, you know, think about it. Yes. Eat and, this, this is my right? life. Yes. Right. And I understand it feels like multitasking. We're busy. We can get stuff done. It's more efficient. But I'm going to challenge that because you don't get the most out of your meal when you're eating and you don't appreciate, to use your word, your meal when you're eating and, and, you know, you actually don't feel as satisfied. So I could go on about multitasking because I, I really, I, I'm not the best all the time at not multitasking. At least you wrote a book, you have a podcast, you coach clients, you're, you, you, you have a family, you definitely multitask. (laughs) Well, but I do try when I eat to not multitask to really just eat. So that's my tip is to just eat. And that doesn't mean you have to like, you know, put the tablecloth out and the candles and make it a whole entire experience. It really can be seven minutes, you know, I was going to say 10, but I'm, I'll say seven. It could be seven minutes, you know, where you or five minutes where you're just, if you make yourself a smoothie, you're just having that smoothie. You're noticing the texture, the taste, whether you're full, whether you even like it. I mean, all those nuances we miss when we're multitasking. So I'm, I'm going to say, don't eat ant, just eat. And that's my tip. I, I, I love that tip. And I, I'm definitely going to take that on. And one of the things that I, that I, th- those two tips that you gave us are so doable. I mean, this, this notion of, you know, of breathing, taking these sort of resets about um, just sort of sitting down and being present when you have your meal, even if it's only for seven to 10 minutes. And one of the things that I love about your content and your Instagram and, and your website is that you make wellness and healthier choices feel really manageable. And I love a concept that you shared recently on Instagram, which was of 12 tiny changes that you can make that add up to big impact. And I would love it if you could walk us through this idea of these 12 tiny changes. Okay. Oh, I'm so glad you saw that post. Um, I love this whole idea because, well, it's really exciting. We're in January. There's all this like energy and enthusiasm, especially around like feeling better and trying to improve our lives. And that's great. But what happens is we make these huge proclamations, like I'm cutting out all sugar, you know, I'm going to go do yoga every day, whatever, fill in the blank for whatever that is for you. And then you know what the statistics are that most of us end up by February, you know, or earlier, like falling through with our best intentions. And so I love this idea of small changes. I actually, the 12 tiny changes came from like, it was when I first got on Instagram, I 
did this 12 tiny changes and I started it in September because in so many ways, September feels like the new year. Oh, I love but September. Started, yes. It's fall. Yeah, it's so a fresh start. It's you're just back, reminding back to me. School. Yeah. I honestly think this is how I grew my Instagram. So I started it and I, and the whole concept is if you make one change a month and they're not all tiny, I mean, I, but it just sounded good, tiny changes. But sure. when you focus on the one change as, as opposed to focusing on everything that you have to do for these huge changes, if you focus on the one change for a month by the end of a year or by the end of 12 months, that's a dozen or more changes that you've made. And, you know, action inspires action. You know, if you start feeling good, then you want to go do other things that help you feel good. And so some of the examples that I give are like, for me, this is every, at the beginning, I always focus on this better sleep. You know, it's probably of all my wellness habits. It's the one that I struggle with most. And so I, you know, and each time I, I focus on it, I learn more about myself. I might have to redo things that I, you know, came undone during the year, but, or I have a different approach, you know, like I really started getting in this year into circadian rhythms, which means that like you teach your body when to be alert and awake and when it should be winding down. And so I really make a huge effort to go out in the morning in the, and get sunlight for 20 minutes, you know, usually it's longer because I have dogs or whatever, but I'm in the sun. I don't have sunscreen on. I know that's probably, you know, some people may need to do that, but I just getting that sunlight on my face. I love it. At least where do you live? Where do you, because I'm in cold freezing New York right now. (laughs) Oh, I'm in, I'm in DC and we go into. Oh, you've got the snow right now. So that's, yeah. So, so so no matter where you live, you should be outside getting some sunlight every morning, right? To reset those circadian rhythms. And it could be even just if you're not like, you don't want to go exercise outside or take a walk or you can or whatever, you could just have your coffee, you know, or your matcha or whatever, like in the sunlight. So it doesn't have to be, I mean, movement is great and, you know, I'm all for it, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a movement thing, you know, just getting out exposed to sunlight. I love so that. that. I love that. That's uh, that's so important. And when I saw that post and I thought about this concept of tiny changes, first of all, I loved it because I was like, that, that sounds doable and we like doable. I, you know, I'm going to share that I started uh, focusing on drinking more water, which, mm. um, you know, in theory is easy, but I, I go through the day. I have coffee, you know, maybe I have wine at night. I, I do drink water, but I realize I'm not drinking. I'm not as well hydrated as I should be. And I know that's so important during um, during the winter months, you know, when we're, we're, we're inside and we're getting like all the dry heat and, and it felt really doable. And I feel, um, I'm happy I'm doing it. And every time I have a glass of water, I'm literally like congratulating myself. I'm like, look at me, I'm doing something healthy and it feels great. So I think that your notion that, you know, um, that, that when you're in action and when you're like, you know, progress begets progress, you know, I, I feel inspired to do other things because I'm feeling like, I don't know. I'm feeling like I, like I'm doing something good for myself. So thank you for sharing that that wonderful that wonderful tip. Also, I I love that you brought up the water because I can't tell you how many people I've worked with and I say, how's your drink? You know, how are you doing with hydration? Well, I could be better. And you know, if you again look at statistics, I mean, we we don't drink enough. We we really don't drink enough. And it's it's something once you start thinking about it and doing it it can change the way your whole body functions, you know, and just the way your skin looks and just, you feel energized and so much. And it's so simple, but most of us don't drink enough. So I love that you brought 
the water up. And I hope that our listeners are encouraged to make sure, you know, that they, and you can find fun ways to hydrate too. Yeah, absolutely. Juicy, uh, juicy ways. So th- this is a g- good um, switch here. So your your book uh, has so many wonderful prompts and, um, you know, sort of uh, questions to ask yourself to, you know, to relate to your own food story, to figure out, um, you know, what you're bringing to the table, how you're, you know, interacting with food. But you also include recipes in your book, too. And I want to make sure we focus on those because there are 35 recipes. They're organized by um, by mood. Right. And that that was like I was surprised when I first saw that, because you often see uh, recipes organized by, I don't know, either by meal or by, you know, substance. It's like vegetarian or it's the meat dishes. Why did you organize your food by mood? And can you tell our listeners uh, some of what the moods are that you touch on? Sure. And I'm really glad you asked that the why question, because I felt like the reader probably has tried everything. And just like you mentioned, has seen all the books, you know, with the breakfast, lunch, dinner, or when mains are, you know, vegan, the, you know, whatever. And so I, I really wanted to do something different because the subtitle of my book is Re- Rewrite the Way You Eat, Think, and Live. So I had to give them a different approach. And I, th- so often we think about what food will do to us. You know, am I going to feel bloated? Will I feel sleepy? You know, is, am I going to have a reaction? Is this good? You know, we, we kind of think about like what might happen or what could happen, but food, you know, it, it can, do so many things for us. So I wanted to give the reader that narrative shift, not thinking about what food could do to you, but for you. So food, so food really does affect your mood. I mean, there have been, there's a whole emerging field of nutritional psychiatry, you know, but I, I, I'm not a psychiatrist. So I, studied all the different nutrients and, you know, and how it relates to specific moods. And I came up with seven moods for the book that I thought people really wanted to feel. So they're happy, um, focused, radiant, strong, um, comforted. uh, I'm, I'm leaving one out. Calm. Oh, and sensual. Sensual. That's and, right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, the, the recipes in sensual actually are really, really good. And so I did all the recipes according to mood. And what I asked the reader or the listener to ask themselves is how do I want to feel? And then you can choose nutrients, recipes, dishes, you know, just things in your pantry to go along with um, the mood that, that you want to feel. This this was such a wonderful and fun way to, to to approach food, and I wish we had time to cover all of them. But because it's January and we're all we're spending the month sort of focused on getting after what we want to get to, you know, this this month I've been talking to sleep experts and goal setting experts, and and you know these are the topics that we kind of focus on during our January reset. If we wanted to bring greater focus to our our month, what are a recipe or two that would help us do that? I was so glad you asked that because I've actually, it must be in the air because I was thinking about that this morning. So for me, I I always turn to my matcha. I have a matcha latte recipe in in the book, but I always use matcha for focus. That's, you know, it helped me write my book for sure. It's It's also like that whole ritual keeps you like your mind, you know, really like Zen and focused on what you're doing, but there's also nutrients in the matcha to help with um, focus. So that's one. And also 
I have a guacamole recipe in the book. It's called Genius Guacamole with Toasted Seeds. So mm, avocado, avocado is a great focus food. You know, the healthy fats are good for blood sta- sugar stabilization. And then the seeds just take it to the next level. Plus it it tastes amazing. What kind of seeds of are we that. talking about? <laughs> I'm intrigued. Ses- <laughs> sesame seeds, pumpkin seeds, and hemp seeds. Ooh. And so they all are so nutrient dense and have um, specific, you know, the omega fatty acids for focus. Um, I love this guacamole recipe and it's, I actually just bought all the ingredients. I'm going to try to make, be able to like, you know, do something with it, um, on social media. Oh my gosh. I'm yeah. linking, I'm linking to that in the show notes because we, my, okay. ki- my kids are all, it's funny. Cause I, my daughter is a uh, vegetarian and gluten-free and allergic to actually nuts and seeds. So I can't put the seeds in. And my, my other, my boys absolutely love like everything with gluten and they love, um, but one of the foods that we make a lot is Mexican because, you know, we can have corn tortillas that those are gluten-free. Mexican is very gluten-free and it can be very delicious vegetarian and guacamole mm-hmm. is a big thing. So I'm checking that recipe out and Okay. And, and when, when she's not, when she when she goes back to college, I'm putting the seeds in it for the rest of us. Because <laughs> is I, she allergic to, to hemp hemp seeds? You know, that's a good question. And I don't know. She's had allergic reactions to sesame. We 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 tend to st- she's got nut nut allergy as well, so we tend to stay away from from nuts and seeds in in general because of mm-hmm. her her um her problems with sesame. But you know that's. One of the lovely things about your book, too, is that there are so many uh, recipes that are available to people, no matter what type of food choices that they're making, because you really do have a lot of options that could be gluten-free or could be meat-free or could be, you know, so that that was one of the things that I noticed. And your Instagram is also full of really fun recipes. I saw the tahini turmeric latte the other day, and I thought it was Mm. a freezing cold day, which is why I think I focused on it. So... Um, I'm putting your Instagram into the show notes as well because I want people to be able to dive into all your recipes. We're coming near the end of our time. We're going to close with a speed round. But before we do that, I want to hear a little bit about your career pivot because, um, you know, I find it fascinating that you were a lawyer, that you then completely reinvented your career. And I know that the women that listen to the show are doing the same thing. I've had so many career switchers on, people who used to do one thing and then became novelists, people that were a stay-at-home mom and then launched a very successful um, you know, events company. And the women that listen to the show, too, are, are reinventing their lives. They're either you know, taking on new careers or new passions or their, their families are changing. So when you made the switch from law to food... You, how, how did that work? What made you realize like I needed a change? Yeah. Okay. So it wasn't overnight. So I just want to say that it wasn't like I woke up one day. I'm like, okay, I'm in the wrong field. I'm changing. So, um, it, it is kind of interesting that all those examples you brought up, because I think I've done almost everything, you know, um, <laughs> but, but I practiced law. I practiced immigration law. I loved it for a while. And then when I became, you know, when I was a mom, the, a few years in, it, the laws just became so stringent. It was really hard to keep families together. And I just, I wasn't waking up feeling great about what I was doing. And I just kind of had like that itch. And I know that's a word that we use a lot that I, that there was something else. So I did take time with my kids in between, you know, it was hard. First I went from full-time, I worked at the department of justice. Then it was part-time because the government is really actually quite good with, you know, allowing you to sure. do that. And then it was like, this isn't feeling right anymore. And I was the entire time, like very interested in health and wellness, like borderline obsessive about health and wellness. And I knew that, you know, I wanted to do something, but I didn't know exactly what it was going to be. 
And so I did, you know, I consulted, I, I did um, events, like you mentioned, I love doing events, actually, because I'm such a detailed person. And then my family moved to California, which is where I'm from, I mentioned that for my husband's work, and it was a year, but with the, it was, it ended up being a year, but it was like a year, but maybe it'll be more, you know, and so I was in LA around all my family, but I had I'd left all my commitments in DC and I, you know, was involved with the school and I was on boards and I did all the things. And, and so then I got to LA and even though I had my, you know, it was a place I grew up, I knew people and all of that. I didn't have those commitments anymore. And I got to really like, think, what do I want? What do I want to do? What do I want my life to feel like now? And I had been carrying around, you're going to laugh. This is 2008. Nine, 2009, I had been carrying around a brochure from the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. I mean, this is when they had brochures, okay? <laughs> and I was like, I kept feeling called to it, but I was like, I'm a lawyer, I don't know. And then I, when my, I did yoga teacher training when I was in LA, never intended to teach yoga, but I wanted to get deeper in my practice. And it gave me so much clarity about myself and what I'm I love teaching and just what I'm not, I didn't love teaching yoga, but I just knew I like teaching. I like connecting with people in a deep way. And I knew that, like, I just learned that I, I had to go do something like that where I was going to work with people and really help them with like some of the internal stuff. This story so makes I, me so happy because I, I, I you, you said something that I, I truly deeply believe that, that people, that we all know inside what it is we want to be doing. You know, you were called, yeah. you, you were carrying around this brochure, you were called to something. And even though it felt maybe improbable, given what, what had been your career to that day, like you knew that you needed to realize this. And I think that people who are listening to the show who are thinking, I want something different, but I'm not sure what it is. You know, like, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you know, the woman that came on that became a novelist at, at 56 said, I knew when I was young, I was going to be a writer, but it just took her you know, decades to get there. People know what they want to be doing. Mm hmm. And I, and I, I love think, that you realized that. I think so that. too. Yeah. And so like to make a long story short, um, it was, we were coming up to like the end of, you know, that year in LA. And I said, okay, well, if we go back to DC, you know, I loved LA. I was from there. My whole family was there. And I was, was like, if we go back to DC, I'm definitely going to do this program. Cause at that point it was, it, you went to, it was a hybrid. It was partially online and partially in New York. And it's so easy to get to New York from DC and so when I found out we had to move, I just, I, I enrolled. That was that. And I never looked back. I never thought, you know, yes, I look back and say, oh, I wish I had done this sooner, but I didn't look back and say I did the wrong thing. And, um, I do feel like this is my calling. I don't regret practicing law. You know, I, I, there were so many things about my training that helped me. I think I'm a better writer. And I think linearly, because of, you know, of what I learned in law school and, and as my career. And you can Department read your contracts. Justice. You can read your book contracts. <laughs> <laughs> I still ask my husband and <laughs> to read them just in case. Elise, um, it's funny. I was thinking about um, my own career a little bit over the holiday as I was doing some work. You know, I have had multiple pivots like you. I've done probably five different things. And and I was really asking myself, you know, how did I get how did I get here? And like, why is this podcast taking off? What's going on with this project? And I, and I, I landed on this realization for myself, at least, that I've I think I've been able to transform and do new things because I've gotten better at asking. 
And I, when I say that, I mean asking both myself what I want, which is what you did, and, and also asking more of myself. But what I've really been able to do um, as I've gotten older and into midlife is I've gotten better about asking other people to help support me and my ideas and my projects and my goals and my dreams. And I'm wondering where, like, how this, how you land on this notion. Like, do you feel that you are are, are good at asking yourself for what you need and want, and, or asking other people? You become an incredible success in this field. What role did asking play in that? Oh, that's a that's a really good question that I haven't really thought of. I I definitely put a lot of pressure still on myself, um, but I do ask myself what I want, and I'm going through that now because I feel like I I I'm doing too many things and. Um, you know, do I want the podcast to take more center stage or, you know, focus more on group group programs? So I am going through that like reflective time where I'm asking not what should I do or what would make the most money or anything like that, but what what would make the most sense for me? So I do ask myself that um, asking other people, I don't know if I'm as good at, I, I think I'm I'm, I'm, I'm saying I'm getting better. I'm not good. I'm getting yeah. better. <laughs> well, I'm good at communicating and I'm good at now. This was a really hard one for me because I'm a people pleaser. I'm good at saying no, but not in a rude way at all, but just like no when it just it either it doesn't feel right or no when I know that I'd love to do it, but I just don't have the bandwidth and I'm not going to feel good about the way I'm doing it. And I think that no is really hard, you know, because you want to do it, but you know, you have boundaries, you know, you know that you, there's only so much you can do in a day. So, so in that way, like I'm asking people to understand. Yes. I love that. We're going to end on that note. No is a complete sentence. We need to get better at saying that sometime. Let's do our quick speed round before I have to say goodbye to you. I could talk to you all day. This has been fun. So speed round is a quick one or two word answer. Um, So let's do it. Writing food story was? Cathartic. The tiny change you're going to make next month. Continue flexing my no muscle. Nice. Okay. Favorite stress buster? Can I say two? Sure. <laughs> With the deep breathing because it's so easy and accessible and yoga. Love it. Okay. Go to snack for energy. Mm, uh, apple and nut butter. Nice. Love it. With cinnamon for Ooh. blood sugar balance. Ooh. Okay. Recipe that you make to fuel radiance. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, chia seed pudding with lemon zest. Yum, yum, yum. Okay, recipe mm-hmm. that powers happiness. Mm, I love the happiness breakfast bowl in my book. Fabulous. All of these are going to go into the show notes, which listeners can find over on a certainagepod.com. Uh, and before we say goodbye, Elise, how can our listeners find you and keep following your work and, 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 and find these yummy recipes? Okay, well, my website is my name, elisemucellus.com, um, Instagram at elisemucellus. Um, and also my book is available wherever books are sold. You know, you can get online and hopefully maybe in independent bookstores and it's food story. We write the way you eat, think and live. Those are the main places. Oh, and my podcast, Once Upon a Food Story. And I hope that Katie will come on and be a guest. I would absolutely adore that. This has been so much fun. Thank you so much, Elise. Thank you, Katie. And thank you for everything that you're doing to help us all feel better about aging and um, midlife. Thanks, Elise. This wraps A Certain Age, a show for women who are aging without apology. All January long, we are featuring guests who have ideas for rebooting our systems, 
from sleep to goal setting to faith to nutrition. Missed a show? Sign up for our weekly newsletter, Age Boldly, to be notified every time a new show drops. Age Boldly also shares weekly doses of micro joys, midlife inspiration, and news not to miss. You can sign up on our website, acertainagepod.com. Special thanks to Michael Mancini, who composed and produced our theme music. See you next time. And until then, age boldly, beauties.